Ah, uh, yes, friends. On a Monday morning, as I get the frogs out of my throat, it is OGP coming to you live on YouTube, as always, breaking down the NFL draft that was, along with myself, Adam Armbrecht, joined, as always, by the healthy, the wealthy, and the wise, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, Adam? Talking? Adam, it must feel like it's like January 3rd for you where you get through the holiday season and you have your your Hanukkah, your Christmas, your New Year's, you're partying, you, you don't have any work to do. And then all of a sudden, like January 3rd hits you like, I have resolutions that I need. I need to get back to work. I need to stop all the libations I've been drinking. Is that how you feel now that the NFL draft is over? Well, let me in on it. I'll let you know a little secret here, friends, and, you know, between us. Don't, don't, don't share this with anybody, but, uh, so, you know, Thursday night, big draft night, obviously the big first round pick and then Friday and second and the third round, then it gets into the weekend. So Courtney and I went up to the cabin that we've mentioned a couple of times before on the podcast. So we go up there and we have a, a, just a restful. We just did a day trip, came back the following day on Saturday. And at, while we're driving home, friends, I say, I say these words, I go, man, you know, like imagine leaving something important at the cabin that you had to go back for because it's about a three hour drive, three and a half hour drive from from where we live. And she was like, oh, my God, that'd just be so brutal. So we drive back and we meet up with my dad. We have a nice dinner. We get home 1130, 1145 at night, open up the back seat of the car, pull out the bags. And I go, hey, my laptop's not here. And she's like, you know, you're hilarious. What what, what a jokester you are. And I go, no, it's not here. She's like, what? Maybe it's at my dad's next morning. Wake up 845. Go to my dad's house. It's not there. And it's back it's to there. the cabin. Nope. I drove over a 36 hour period. I drove something like 18 hours, including a day trip. That was a seven and a half straight shot. Walked into the cabin, picked up my laptop from the couch, right back into the car and right back down the highway. Yeah. And, and that's gotta be a tough one. Like once you grab the laptop, you're like, Oh, thank goodness. But then you got to like literally turn around and get back in the car. What did you do to keep yourself occupied for, you know, the six and a half, seven hour round trip during the, well, during your yeah, I, I, I enjoy music, you know, so the, the strokes were a big part of my journey. Uh, Modest Mouse was a big part of my journey. Talking to myself was a big part of my journey. And then also because, yes, where the cabin is, the radio does fade. There is not going to be ESPN radio out where I'm going. So I thought a lot about the Giants NFL draft and how I would look back on it when we came right here this morning. It was almost like you subconsciously left it there so that you could have three and a half hours each way to get your mind right on what you think Dave Gettleman did right and wrong in this year's draft. Just had to digest it all. I just needed the time alone. And by the way, so let's start there, obviously. Uh, we're going to get into all the picks, that specifically the players that were drafted by the New York football giants. There's some some things that did come to mind over the course of the draft that that maybe was a dose of reality or reminder about how we should think about the draft specifically around our team and years past. But what was your overall takeaway? We know trade downs, multiple trade downs for the giants in the first and second rounds. They trade up in the third round for a target that they want. Did you feel like the giants really came into and out of this draft with a one a plan in mind, a structure of how they wanted to approach things and then check the boxes that they wanted to. Well, so I think this is the best draft that the Giants have had in over a decade. I, I think 
going into it, there was a lot of concern about was Dave Gettleman going to get value? Were they going to reach for uh, an edge rusher because it was an area of need at 11? What, 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 were, what was going to be the pick? Where were they going to take certain players? And guess what? All that you read is the planning that Joe Judge and, and Dave Gettleman did in terms of scenarios and players that they wanted. It felt like the Giants weren't rigid in this draft. That you know, I, overall, I give them an A minus is is my my grade for them. I want to give them an A plus, but there's kind of two things that 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 are holding me back here, Adam. And I'm sure you're probably thinking the same thing as me. One is was surprised that we reached as far as we did um, in round one to get Kadarius Tony, but we can get into uh, some of the affirmations afterwards that we've heard about that pick. Uh, and number two is we actually didn't draft an offensive lineman during this draft, which absolutely floored me. If you had given me me a wager on one of my betting sites, if the Giants are going to take an offensive lineman in this draft, I would have lost a significant amount of money. Well, yeah, yeah. Listen, I think and so. That's funny because we'll get into it in a second here. But overall, I, I thought it was great, right? Uh, you know, when you talk about the moves that they made, obviously you get draft assets for next year's draft class. Where uh, what the reports are is that it's a very deep draft, and that many GMs were coveting the idea of being able to pick up picks next year and. and kind of safeguard against an uncertain draft class this season or maybe guys that have some small injury concerns or and not even off the field but just saying where's the tape right some guys opted out some guys got partial seasons and even guys that came back and played mostly full years it's hard to gauge what competition they're playing against and what the true value of some of these guys are so I I think that there's there's validity in having both the positive general positivity because I think every regard about it was that the Giants, one, fleeced the Chicago Bears. Like It felt like they got a haul to move down to 20. To your point about taking the wide receiver there, the, at the time in the moment, I maybe thought about quitty, you know, quitty pay or maybe one of the offensive linemen or things like that, but it's hard for me to then hang my hat on that when on the back end of it, and this isn't just because we didn't take him, but guys like Quiddy Pay, even he seemed to fall into this category with Owe and with some of the other edge rushers where they good players but they're not finished products yet they're still going to have to work right they're still going to have to refine their game a little bit so i think that that maybe is the difference between seeing value at a position of need like edge rusher like offensive lineman versus saying this wide receiver talent is incredibly highly regarded we had one i think it was i don't know if it was mel kuyper or another scout that said he had him I heard on, I was listening the other day to a couple of coverage around it, had him as the third best wide receiver behind Chase and I think Smith maybe. So he may even put him ahead of Waddle or ahead of Smith, one of the two there. So even if he was the fourth best, but was very close to those top three guys, I think that that also buoys the value of taking him there at that selection while still getting really good value at that point as well. Yeah, I mean, overall, look, you know, I'm starting to, warm up to Kadarius Tony as a pick. I, I didn't mind taking a wide receiver there. You and I both probably had Rashad Bateman as a little bit more polished and someone that if we're going to move up a little bit to get, um, we, we would have been excited, excited about it. But, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, that, that pick in particular, uh, it kind of set the stage for how we were going to draft uh, from there on out. But like we talked about, I was shocked that that plan ended up not, having an offensive lineman in there. And if you hear some of the quotes about it, it, 
you start to understand kind of where the Giants went. It wasn't that they were against taking a lineman. They just did not see the value at the picks that they were presented. No, exactly. Right. So, I mean, you're talking about, again, the value. So at 11, you're sitting there and saying, even if you liked, I mean, they end up not taking Quiddy Pay when they had the chance to, but even if you like them at 11, where is the value there? And then when you get a team like Chicago who wants to come up to target a player, you feel like we now have a chance to, again, stockpile picks going forward and still give ourselves a great opportunity to get a quality player. But I will say before we get into uh, specifically the the picks that they made throughout this draft, there was something, as I'm referring to, the philosophical reminder. So when we came into it, there's a couple of things that we talked about leading up to the draft. One was uh, offensive line. In general, the, the NFL consensus is if you have three guys, that you, if you have three-fifths of your line that you feel you're locked into, you're in a good place. Solid guys. Then you want to supplement them with two respectable, right, serviceable, sometimes veterans or sometimes developmental players. So I took a step back. Go back to last year. The New York football Giants spent a first, a third, and a fifth round pick on the offensive line. And they also moved Nick Gates into center. Now, so you can say, you know, Lemieux, fifth rounder. Okay, you know, there's some questions there. But at the very least, you, if you're the Giants, you're Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, you go, we did it. We did it. We spent three of our draft picks last year on our offensive line and put Gates in a new position that we like him at. And by the end of the year, we really liked what we were seeing from across the board from all these players, even from Andrew Thomas, who struggled early. Matt Pert flashed at Shane Lemieux. We know pass protection, you have to work on that, but he was a beast in the run game. And, and the footnote to it to me was Wayne Gallman. Remember we were saying, God, Wayne Gallman's finally putting it together. Maybe it was just the offensive line was putting it together and Wayne Gallman was reaping that benefit. So I, I, I cast my mind back there and thought, okay, so the Giants are a little bit more bullish on the offensive line than we maybe thought. And then you combine it with where they're picking and if the value is correct. But I, I, I think that the Giants look at it and say, we feel really good there. Edge rusher is a little bit different because you see that they take multiple picks basically from the second to fourth round. So the mid rounds there, and they wanted to rebuild that. They wanted to make that better. Little surprised about, uh, you know, cornerback and going to those waters. But likewise, cast your mind back and think about the hits and misses they've had in the draft at that position. And you feel like even though we maybe this is kind of the one where you go the other way with it. You, we, we were excited about Darnay Holmes. But, you know, little flashes, but there's still some question marks there. So bringing in more value at that position seemed to make sense as well. So just I, I, I realized that you really got to go back and not look at it from the outside or what maybe we think they need or want. And I'm sure you're going to see them next year go after an offensive lineman. But you have to apply what happened the year prior, I think, a little bit heavier to how they approach the draft because no organization is going to say, we spent all these picks. 80% of them are trash. You know, year number two, you're not going to have that sense of that draft class. Yeah. I mean, Dave Gettleman even said it himself. He said, we like, apparently we like the guys in our building more than other people do. And he was referring to his offensive linemen. And he said, we've spent draft capital and, and we're letting these young guys build. And, you know, the problem is as a fan, we saw the offensive line. We saw at times it was an absolute mess. This is such a critical year to figure out what you have with Daniel Jones that I don't want it to be that Shane Lemieux or Zach Fulton or, you know, uh, Nick Gates looks like a turnstile and Daniel Jones is spending half the time on his back. And we don't know whether or not we have a franchise quarterback. And so for me, that's, that's the biggest challenge. If he's saying that the offensive line is 
middle of the road in the league, mm-hmm. it, it, which is what we need it to be in order to get a proper evaluation of Daniel Jones, then I'm fine. But if the offensive line doesn't perform, even with this draft being as great as it was, I'm looking squarely at Gettleman again and saying, we all think that it needs help. You're saying that you don't. You're there every day. If it's not working midway through the season, how can we from 10,000 feet away see this and you can't admit a mistake or understand that it's an area that you need to address? Yes. No, 100%. And that's why I think you, we we hope, right? We hope that it does all work out the way that Gettleman, and then I, I'll say, I lean in on Joe Judge, right? And say, I hope that you have this figure right, because then it means we are on a very strong path forward. And by the way, and this isn't a good thing, but stockpiling those picks the way they did does mean that if something doesn't work out at a key position, you have multiples in the first, in the third, in the fifth, I think out of the fourth round next year to be able to move around the board and address those areas of need. We're going to now move into, of course, covering the picks that were made here throughout the draft. A quick footnote that I'll say just to get out of the way is post-draft. As we know, the Giants like to get in there on the undrafted free agents. They did sign Brett Hedgie out of the center out of Florida. They did sign Jake Burton, the offensive lineman out of Baylor. And they also signed Raymond Johnson, the third defensive end out of Georgia Southern. So just to supplement what they've done in this draft class, they did go out and get a couple of offensive linemen that they that they probably feel pretty good about and try to develop this year. And you can look at a position of need like right guard, maybe where it could be veteran in Fulton or just in the background here. We we did forget, I will acknowledge, and there, there is a correlation here to um, the NBA. We obviously cover that um, you know, for the Nets. Jason Tatum had COVID-19 early in the season, and he's talked about how it really, really dragged him down. He, he hasn't been able to have the same energy, and he's finally gotten back to that place here later in the season. Will Hernandez also had COVID last year. So there is some sense here that I at least want to, you know, and we've said, right, if it's not working out, this will be the last year for him. But I'm going to at least give that opportunity for him to come into the season, into training camp, and maybe show that he does still have something. And now you'll have him there with Fulton. I think that's probably the safeguard they had by bringing in Fulton. But maybe Will Hernandez can still be a starter on this line. That would change our outlook too. Adam, I don't know if you have the data, but did Will Hernandez uh, contract COVID in like 2018? Or, and he's had it for three years? Like how long? How long? How long did the residual effects last for for Will Hernandez? Well, you know, he had he had, pre, he had pre-symptoms, is what yep, it was. Pre-symptoms for two and a half years. Then, yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, perfect. In that explains in- that explains his poorest play for for the, the the his entire Giants career. But I don't want to get too far off off topic with, with Will Hernandez because you know I like going down a spiral with that. I want to talk about a man, an artist named Young Joka. What do you have for me, Adam? This kid's a voice, friends. This kid, listen, we're talking about Kadarius Tony and his burgeoning rap career, which he is a fan of. He does it. You can find him on YouTube. I think it's actually, it's quite good. You know, it's very enjoyable. The, the, the sound is lovely and inevitably. So uh, on the, on this podcast, just to shout out uh, Tony, if you want to come on and talk about exclusively your music, if you'd like to, we'd love to hear about it because we don't look at NFL players or athletes as guys that can only be doing one specific thing without expanding their vision, possibly anywhere beyond the field or the court, et cetera. But of course, naturally, that comes up after Kadarius Tony is drafted and they say, boy, does this guy have the focus, right? Is he really about football? The same way they, they do this all the time with Damian Lillard. Am I right? 
Uh, Adam, th- this is my favorite part uh, of this conversation is when they're like, his sole focus isn't on football. They did this with, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence at one point, just because he was amazing. But with Kadarius Tony specifically, they're saying his emerging rap career is really going to impact, uh, you know, his focus on the NFL. You know, he really needs to make football his number one priority. It's a lot of undertones and insinuations and innuendos when Aaron Rodgers is hosting Jeopardy, a- answering, you know, <laughs> like asking questions. And they said he prepped day and night for it. Then yeah. after he's done with that, he destroys his front office and basically says, I'm ne- never playing for you again. And then he flies with all his buddies to the Kentucky Derby and looks like a like a a guy from True Detective out there looking for for his perpetrator <laughs> somewhere in the stands. It's like like what, what are we talking about here? Aaron Rodgers can do whatever oh. he wants, but Kadarius Tony can't have 200 views and and make it make a, a couple of YouTube videos. Like this is so nonsensical. Listen, it's um I mean hypocritical comes to mind. Um. There's other things that come to mind when we talk about if you're a, if you're a prominent white athlete versus being a black athlete. Apparently, it just feels a little bit different when you have other things that you like to do as opposed to the proverbial "shut up and dribble." Right? That that moniker seems to attach itself very heavily to a to a specific demographic within sports because oh, rap. I couldn't possibly, but Jeopardy, that's the thinking man's activity. Like that must be totally okay. And by the way, too, the overarching of all this stuff is always about talent. It's always about results, right? If you if you're really good at what you're doing, Damian Lillard, ain't nobody gonna question what you're up to because it's always game time when you're on the court. So that, that that's always the factor. And then guys that do nothing at all away from basketball or away from football and are terrible, maybe they should do more. Maybe they should take a Parcheesi. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe diversifying your time would help you. Maybe Will Hernandez would benefit from taking up some outside football activities to help distract his mind a little bit. Exactly. And and you know what? Listen, I, I'm not going to labor the point on, on Kadarius Tony. He is a six foot, hundred and ninety three pound. They call it like a human joystick. They refer to him as like a Percy Harvin, a guy that can do it all. He is an athlete. He played quarterback in high school, broke a ton of different records, um, had offers from all the big SEC schools. He was the, ranked the 20th best athlete coming out of uh, high school, decided to go to Florida. They've used him all over the field in a variety of ways. And when you watch his tape, it's just explosive. He's the type of guy, it doesn't matter whether he's in the slot or he's in the backfield or you're putting him in motion. Like He needs to have five to seven designed plays a game where they try to get the ball to him in space to see what's going to happen because he is that explosive of an athlete. No, completely different and unique than anything that the Giants have had at the receiving position, arguably since Odell Beckham Jr., right? A guy that you put the ball into his hands and it's just electric. A lot of people have talked about even the idea of you went from Victor Cruz, you drafted Sterling Shepard, right? And then you moved Victor, moved away from Victor Cruz. Now you have Sterling Shepard and you drafted Kadarius Toney. Now you will probably, after this season, move away from Sterling Shepard, right? So continuing to roll over that slot position on the roster. But this player, who, by the way, I said slot, but you can put him on the outside. You can put him in the backfield. You can put him, you know, you're going to be able to move him around the field and use him in a lot of different ways. And that's what I think makes it exciting for uh, the Giants in general and then for Daniel Jones as well because unique skill set that you're adding to a dynamic receiving room now. Yeah, the the one interesting note is that Kadarius Tony's one of the older players. He's he's 22 years old right now, which is is significantly older than some of the other players that are in the draft like our, our second round pick. 
Um, but overall, I liked it. I mean, how could you be upset when the Giants add a playmaking weapon to the offense that was lacking last year to begin with? You got to be excited that they're giving Daniel Jones more weapons. And honestly, if the, the offensive line plays the way that Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman think it's going to, Kadarius Tony is that type of piece that could make this offense, you know, roll through the NFC East. Yeah, and especially if you think about the running game working the way it did last year, plug in Saquon Barkley instead of Wayne Gallman, that already feels like a strength there. Now you start to get really dynamic. Now you start to get the guy in space, whether it is Tony, any of these wide receivers, including Evan Ingram at this point, you know, get them in space, get the ball into their hands, and now it just comes down to, again, pass protection, give Daniel Jones that little bit of time to find those routes. And I think, again, with you know, I don't want to paint a positive picture in an area where I thought the Giants really needed to attack in the draft. But if they're confident in how this offensive line has been constructed, then I'm really excited to see what this team looks like week one. You mentioned a young player, something that I almost I, it got away from me. When we were talking about the draft overall, we mentioned players like Joe Tryon, who ended up going to the Buccaneers, and he's just 20 years old, right? Young players that you feel really good about getting because you can continue to develop and evolve them. Aziz Ojolari, who we traded down from 42, and got extra picks and still landed what most people regarded as a first round talent in this draft. Also just 20 years old had, had some of the injury concerns, you know, for himself. And you wonder how, how difficult it was to make that selection there. I always do find it fascinating when says, well, I couldn't have taken him at 28, but if you take him at 50, what an incredible value. If the injuries are concerns, then they are concerns. But, all things being equal, that he is healthy and ready to play uh, for the New York football giants. How'd you feel about that selection in the second round? Yeah. I mean, his knee got checked out. Um, uh, you know, Aziz Ojolari was a guy that was, was one of the names I was batted about at the 11th pick. It was a, it was yeah. a name that came up, uh, you know, is, is it Quiddy pay? Is it Jalen Phillips? Is it, you know, who is the best edge rusher in, in this draft? There are projectors that, you know, Pro Football Focus says the best pass rushing grade of any edge rusher went to Aziz Ojolari. Like he is one of the top pass rushers that was available in this draft. He had a knee injury in high school. They were worried about it being an arthritic knee. I think it was James Andrews that actually checked him out and said, nope, good to go. Knee's perfectly fine. It's healed great. And so, you know, that was a guy that the Giants liked, but they really liked the idea of accumulating, getting assets and accumulating value and making the value match up with the pick. And that felt really consistent in this draft. The Giants kept yeah. saying, we, we're we not going to just like put a square peg in a round hole and pick a guy 20 picks early just because we like him. Like We really need the value to match where we're selecting. And that's why the Giants did a masterful job in the first two rounds accumulating assets and getting Aziz Ojolari with the 50th pick. You know, he, it's, it's a sexy pick for uh, steal the draft you know, or best value pick you, you see, you know, you know, uh, uh, Mel Kuyper and, and, and those guys are basically saying the steal of the draft is, is, is Aziz Ojolari 50. How could you not be excited at him? Yeah. And I think, you know, again, so it's like tying back into right. Offensive line players. I think if Aziz Ojolari isn't there, if they, you know, they want to trade down and get those picks, they were comfortable enough to trade down from 42 and say, let's see where the board is. If Ojolari isn't there, I would have been interested to see where would the giants have gone? By the way, I, th I think, that as we're going to we'll move into the round three here and beyond where the Giants go to a position that we maybe didn't necessarily have high on the board. But if you remember, when we talked about it following the first round, setting up day two, I said, I said, well, I wonder if, if cornerback might be on the radar here. And I thought maybe in the second round with another possible trade down opportunity, 
It ends up coming in the third round at 71. They trade up just half dancing around this draft board, friends, moving up five picks from 76 to get their target. And by the way, they utilize that fifth round pick that they got in the trade down with Chicago to move up. So you get yourself the extra asset to then be able to go and attack a player that you feel you really want to get. And that's Aaron Robinson, the cornerback. Obviously surprised, I think, is uh, you know, there's no other way to put it. Surprised that that was the selection in the third round. Again, at that point, I was still thinking offensive line might be an option for them. Um, but but, but where, do you, where did you take that pick? How do you think it fits in? Because when you look at this roster, we know what they did in the offseason. And then let alone a lot of returning players, a very crowded room now at the cornerback position. I, I love the maneuvering that the giants did. It wasn't that we just traded all of our picks back. It wasn't that we moved all of our assets. We did a little bit of everything, which shows the giants were getting creative. We planned for the future by getting a ton of assets for next year. But then that fifth round pick that you mentioned from the bears, we used it to move up five spots to get the guy that we wanted. They, they used that asset brilliantly. Like I thought that was such a great move. They said that they, they had Aaron Robinson in the discussion at 42. He was one of the five guys they were deciding between at 42. That's how high they had him ranked on the board. M- most people said that he was going to be a mid-second round, you know, early to mid-second round pick, and he slips. Yep. He keeps falling down the board, and the Giants just said, there's too much value here for us to pass up. I, I love the pick just because I, I, I wouldn't have liked Sertan at, at, in the first round at, at 11 because I would just feel like, you know, the value doesn't match the need, you know, that, that type of thing that we were talking about before. This is a great pick. Everyone is saying that he's going to be able to come in and compete with Darnay Holmes for a starting spot in week one. And that's just going to make both players better. And it's going to make our nickel packages and slot corner that much better. So for me, I'm excited about it. We definitely just got better at the cornerback position. It may also be telling that maybe there's a cornerback on our roster that maybe they aren't thinking too much about. Well, and it's funny, right? I mean, you, the first guy that comes to mind, or at least because, you know, for, for me anyway, is Darnett Holmes just got drafted, fourth round selection. We thought maybe he flashed a little bit, but we, we know it was a hodgepodge and just kind of make our way through the season last year at the position. And, and a fourth round pick isn't somebody that automatically needs to be a starter for you, let alone as a rookie. So I think Darnett Holmes now gets bumped probably down into that depth role potentially if this young a player can go ahead and come into camp and take a starting job. Of course, be one Samuel Beal who made that choice to opt out of the uh, opt out opt out of the season last year. We know we spent a, a conditional third round pick on him. He didn't really pan out. Now you're what? I mean, technically we're entering year four, but it's really year three. And what it really is is it's probably you know the last <laughs> the, the last stand for him. So I think. You know, this is the other piece because we know we're going to touch on that on the other picks as well, but they do go into the cornerback room again here in the draft. And I think this is the one position that the Giants, that Dave Gettleman, they are, you know, firing bullets. They're they're taking their shots, right? We know what they did to try to go get DeAndre Baker, and that didn't work out. Compensatory pick on Beal, that doesn't work out. You trade for Yadam, that's a nice band-aid, but probably not the long-term solution. So this seems like the position. You go out and sign a premier player at the position in the offseason. This has been the thorn in Dave Gettleman's side, and I think he's going to keep trying to get that value. And to your point, a guy like this falls that you had graded in the second-round talent area, that means that maybe we've gotten now, you can make the argument, we got two first-round talents in this draft and a second-round talent out of our first three rounds. 
while also accumulating draft picks for the yes. future. Like you can't yes. like, how do you even put all that together? It doesn't compute to me. So whether or not you necessarily like the players, the fact that we got the value, you know, where we did on these players plus accumulating assets, the first three rounds were an absolute home run. And to be honest with you, Adam, our fourth round pick, I, I didn't know very much about candidly um, before the selection, but um, why don't you talk a little bit about Ellerson Smith? Yeah, honestly, I mean to say to say that he flashed across the boards, you know, in my when I'm scrolling through and doing the pre-draft stuff. Yes, I saw the name, but it wasn't one that I stopped on, and it wasn't one that I did a ton of research on. And yet, what we end up getting is a six foot six, or maybe even a little bit taller, you know, six six foot six and a half by some measurements, two hundred and sixty two pounds coming into the league. And, and he's a guy that has all the natural athleticism and agility that you want in an edge rusher. So it's the length. I think, you know, I, I think of him like one of those athletic, you know, natural athletes. Think of a, and I don't mean a comparison in terms of the player and the quality or what expect of him, but a JPP who comes in with natural athleticism and all of the measurables that you want out of the position. And all you really need is development has to get a little bit stronger, has to work on some of his techniques. But I think, you know, this is a guy there's a world that we're three, four weeks into the season and you're seeing Ojalari and you're seeing Ellerson Griffin. And that is the edge rushing group on the field for the New York football giants. There's a, there's a chance here that the giants have stolen a starter in the fourth round of the draft. Yeah. So you talk about the athleticism, Adam, he had a 42 inch vertical jump, which puts him in the 99th percentile in terms of athleticism. His broad jump put him in the 94th percentile. The guy is a crazy athlete. His his broad jump was seventh best of anyone in the draft. So when you think about that, like he's 6'6", like 250 pounds, and he's still doing that with with his athleticism. It's incredible. And, you know, a lot of of people said that he was a standout in, in some of the different senior bowl drill stuff that everybody was doing. Guy had... 14 sacks in, in, in 2019. So he can really get after the quarterback. He is a developmental pro, uh, you know, project. Jordan Renan, I think was, was the one that, that said he could be a better Ky, uh, Kyler Fackrell mm-hmm. is one of the comparisons that he said, but you, you got to be excited. The giants obviously knew that they needed edge rushing. They got Ojolari, who was one of their main targets to begin with. And then you take a developmental one that has a chance to be great in, in Ellerson Smith. So for me, Really happy about that pick. I'm excited to see how he comes through in camp. I'm sure that once the, once they get him out there for you know rookie days and things like that, he's going to be maybe the guy that stands out more than anyone else because of that athleticism. Yeah, flashing, right? We're going to see that in training. You're going to hear about him in training camp because of the natural athleticism. And hopefully, you're not going to hear about it. And he just sweeps around Andrew Thomas and yeah. would have gotten to Daniel Jones in a hurry on that one. And he turned Matt Pert into a turnstile yet again. It's like, no, <laughs> no, we don't need that. Like, that would be bad. So as as we wrap ourselves up here, the Giants did take in the uh, 201. They took Rodarius Williams. And yes, I jumped past 196. And that's because... This is my highlight special. I've talked about different running backs. You listen, I like I like me a running back. And if you're going to take a guy, there's a couple of reasons why I love Gary Brightwell. I think this was a nice out of Arizona, 5'11, almost 220. So right off the bat, you know why I'm gonna love him. It's because this dude is the battering ram. Like he's a bully, he's a bully running back, short yard running back. 
thing we don't have as a compliment to Saquon Barkley and even Booker. And the guy, the thing that I don't want Saquon Barkley to have to do with consistency is really put his head down and get into the scrum. Sometimes I want to have that guy that I run into the field to say, yeah, go get me those little short yardage plays for, for ourselves. Uh, You know, he doesn't have tremendous speed and he doesn't need tremendous speed. Arm tackling is not going to be something that brings him down. He's going to fight through those very easily. And then more importantly, or most importantly, I think to me is that when you go back and look at his collegiate career, Guy doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires. This is a guy who only had 89 carries this past season. In his sophomore year, only had under 100. So I like getting a fresh body. And I think so often when we talk about drafts and sometimes guys that excite us, like I was excited by Kenneth Gainwell or excited by a Jared Patterson. Well, guess what? Jared Patterson was exciting and they were running the heck out of him at the college level. And it doesn't mean that it won't be a good pro, but in terms of longevity and getting value out of the player, this is a guy that looks like he's going to fit our specific need And I would assume he has every opportunity to plug himself in as the third running back on this depth chart and going into the season with a very specific role carved out for himself as long as he shows everything we want through training camp. Yeah, and the only other footnote I'll add, because you you wrapped that up masterfully, is that he played all different aspects of special teams uh, in college as well. And uh, I don't know if you know, Adam, but Joe Judge used to be uh, a special teams coach. So, you know, maybe we'll draw some correlations that not only can he potentially be that third running back in the room with Booker and and, and Barkley, he also provides additional value across the entire, you know, entire team in a, in a whole different unit uh, outside of the running back room. Yes, no, 100%. And that's what we've we've seen this now the last couple of years from the Giants. Guys in the late round picks, show me versatility. Show me that you can do different things for this team. It's why captains at college were finding their way onto the Giants roster, especially last year with guys like Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin. We will, of course, be back in. This is going to be uh, now it ramps up in a different way. Now we'll, we'll get into these players even a little bit more on Wednesday. We'll take a look at the at the roster here and say, 53. That's all we get. We only get 53 spots here. Who are the guys? We did this going back a handful of weeks around where is this roster going to be and who are the guys on the bubble? There's a couple of names that we mentioned back then that I think are are maybe even falling off the bubble as in in the wrong direction. We can maybe already earmark some of them to not be a part of this team. And that's the difficult part. Guys that we're excited about and want to see do well two years ago, the chance comes and goes just like that. It is the NFL. It happens in a hurry. But at the end of the day, friends, this was an exhausting weekend to to try to want to be a part of this and track it and be excited about it. I'm glad that we got through it. And, and, I, and I am incredibly excited about what the Giants put together out of this weekend. If I can leave Giant fans, OGP fans feeling good after this podcast, we said we gave them an A for, for their draft. They traded back. If you don't know about Kadarius Toney, Get to, get to learn who he is. He's a, he's a crazy athlete. And if you want to feel good about yourself about that pick, you kind, of, you kind of looked around and said, who? Why did they do that? Urban Meyer is the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He had the 25th pick. He said there was one pick in the draft that literally broke his heart. And that was the Giants selecting Kadarius Toney because he said the guy is a human highlight film and they were going to pick him with the 25th pick. So feel good, Giant fans. We may have gotten Devonta Smith taken away from us at, at 11, but we took Kadarius Tony away from the Jacksonville Jaguars at 25. Didn't need him. Don't want him. Hope the Eagles fall flat on their faces. Anyway, 
You can follow us, of course, at One Giant Podcast on social media. You can follow the podcast itself. Download it, rate, review it. Leave those five-star reviews if you're so inclined. We really appreciate it. We will be back in, as we say, on Wednesday, breaking down the roster, looking ahead to training camp. This is when it even gets, it gets even juicier. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better. Now we're talking about young rookie class and what it means for this team and what the expectations we're going to set for a, naturally, 17-game season. Until next time, friends, as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and demand that you know. As always, let's go Big Blue.